whether sitting or standing, what a joy it is to be in God's presence. What a joy it is to hear his word. What a joy it is to be with you. What a joy it is to worship God together. Have you ever woken up, and I know the answer is going to be yes, but have you ever woken up and you don't know where you are? Maybe you're on vacation or, or some strange place. Uh, you've been sleeping in a strange bed. Uh, maybe you awake in the middle of the night and you start thinking, where in the world am I? What is happening? It doesn't feel familiar. And you know right away, even it's a terrible feeling, isn't it? When you just kind of wake up and you're trying to get, regain consciousness, you're trying to... Uh, Make the surroundings come into light and so you understand where you are and, and what you're doing. Well, it often happens to each one of us when maybe we're on a vacation or we go somewhere that's new. Um, and again, some strange surroundings. We have some dear friends who were members of this church for a real long time. Uh, uh, the husband got a call to go up and work in the panhandle. Um, and they have raised their family up there. But some of our friends went to visit them. And they went to be with them. And again, uh, this, this mom had one of those experiences. She wakes up in the middle of the night, and it's really, really dark. And she doesn't know where she is. And she's disoriented. And she's trying to gain her senses and, and to figure out where she is. And she stumbles to a light. And she turns it on. And she still can't see. She goes to another light switch. Turns that on, groping along the way, and she still can't see. And she comes to the conclusion that during the middle of the night, she went blind. And she started panicking. I can't see anything. I don't know where I am, and I can't see anymore. I'm blind. She didn't know that the power had gone out in the house that night. And so there she was, flipping on the lights, trying to see something, coming to the conclusion, oh Lord, I've lost my sight. Well, the truth is, for each one of us, without light, we can't see. Jeff, that's profound. Thank you very much. You can write that down. What would you hear from your pastor this week? He told us, without light, we can't see. And it's true. Jesus came into the world and he says... I am the light of the world. And as we realize who we are apart from Christ, as we read God's Word and we see life without Him, we realize that without Him, we could never see. We could never see spiritually. Without the Son coming as the light of the world to illumine blind eyes, we would never see the Father. Without Jesus, the light of the world coming, we could never see truly who we are in God's eyes. Without of the light of the world, Jesus coming into our hearts, we remain in spiritual darkness, unable to see truth, unable to know that, you know, there's a God who loves us. Without the light of the world coming into our lives, we remain separated from this holy God and sinners, never knowing the joy of hearing the Father say, I love you, I'm for you, you are mine, and I am yours. But it's this light, it's this Jesus, this light of the world that has come, and, and through His light, we now can see all things differently. 
afresh the way we're supposed to see Him as Jesus being Creator of all things and our need for this great Savior and Redeemer. Again, it's a C.S. Lewis quote that I've really been revolving over in my mind this year, just wrestling with it. Such a beautiful quote. He says, I believe in Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing, as I believe in the Son. Not so much that I could see it, but I could see all things through the light of the Son. Well, Jesus Christ has come as the light of the world. And as we embrace this light of the world into our lives, we now can see all things new. And our darkness is driven away. Turn with me in your Bibles to John 9. It's a text that Sid Cash read for us this morning. It's a text that plays out the implication that Jesus is the light of the world. That He has come to drive out darkness. And for any of you here today that life still contains darkness, maybe spiritually, uh, maybe emotionally, maybe relationally, there is such good news for each and every one of us this morning that our God is the God of driving out darkness. He is the God that brings light to all of our pain, healing to all of our brokenness. And Lord willing, we are going to rejoice together this morning that Jesus, the light of the world, has come. And He's still shining into this broken sinner's life. You know, my custom is I get ready to preach. I read through a lot of commentary notes. I wrestle through the passage. I look at the original language that it was written in. I got a great computer program that helps me with a lot of wonderful cheats that you'll think, man, Jeff is really smart. Jeff's got a really good software package, a really good theological degree from a great seminary. But what I usually do, I usually try to find a, uh, a sermon from my hero, Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers, and he preached, I think, four or five sermons on this text alone. And as I read them, I can't help but weep. And as I read them, I, I, I say, Lord, if just once, just once, let me preach like Spurgeon. Just once. The way he saw Jesus, the way he just describes them is just unbelievable. Stories tell about Spurgeon's sermons that they were printed in the newspaper the next day. And the stories of how people have picked up the newspaper, even those who wrapped some trinket and sent it to a distant land, wrapped in his, the newspaper that had his sermon, and they came to Christ just reading a little excerpt. I'm not going to be Spurgeon this morning. I probably look a little bit like him, but I'm not going to be like him most likely. But my heart and my hope and my prayer is we get something even better. That's a living God speaking to us through a broken vessel. It's one who desperately needs to hear this text. And the amazing thing about the preaching of God's word is that's what he promises to do. He says, you know, if we lean into him and he fills sinners like me, and that's our hope and prayer. So let me ask God to come with power this morning. And we don't want Spurgeon, we want Jesus. And let's ask that, that Jesus would come in such a powerful way that, that this story is unbelievable. That's for every single one of us. It may be a story you've heard before, but I promise it's a story you need to hear again. It's unreal. So will you do me a favor? Will you, will you pray with me silently? And as I pray, will you just amen my words? And will you ask God to come into this dwelling in a way that reveals the beauty of Jesus, because Jesus, he is awesome. 
He is so beautiful, I don't have words to describe him. So let me, let me, let me lead us in prayer. Let us pray. Father, if your son never came, we would only be in darkness. But we thank you that you would love sinners like us so much that Jesus would come and penetrate the darkness and the darkness wouldn't understand. The darkness wouldn't overcome. And Jesus, the light of the world has come to touch blind eyes, to drive out the darkness and let the light reign, the light of Christ reign. And Father, each and every one of us is in need this morning of the illuminating light of Christ to shine brightly. And Father, I, I, don't, I don't have the ability and the gifts to communicate this story in a manner that it's worthy of what this story says to us. But Holy Spirit, you have all the power we need. And all I am is a broken vessel, a jar of clay. And God, we, we, we need to hear a voice that's greater than the Prince of Preachers, Spurgeon. We need to hear the voice of Jesus. So would you come this morning with power and would you, would you speak in a way that we understand? And would you do it tenderly because that's who you are, a tender, loving Savior. And Holy Spirit, would you open up our minds to understand your word so that we can really chew on it and really grow in it. And Father, would you empower our feet to walk out of here in the light of Christ, realizing that now, unbelievably, as your children, that we are the light of the world. Father, the things that I say that are wrong or that are merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are true, the things that contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to bring glory to yourself and joy to our hearts. Father, do that which only you can do. We pray in Christ's powerful name. Amen. In John 9, we're going to get the story of Jesus coming across this man and healing him. A man that never saw the light of day, never knew what colors looked like, never knew what shapes were. This man that his whole life experienced nothing but darkness. And Jesus is going to come and we're going to see the awe of how he interacts with this man and allows this man to see But let me just spend a few minutes giving you a little bit of background to the story. In John chapter 7, Jesus goes to the temple in Jerusalem. And he goes to the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's in there that Jesus is going to get into a lot of trouble with the religious people. Jesus usually does that. He goes into a religious setting like the temple. And he is going to teach God's Word in a way with power and authority. Like they've never heard before. Why? Because he's God speaking. And he goes to this feast and this celebration and and as the symbols of the feast are present, like the water for purification, he's going to say, I'm living water. And when the lamps are lit and the temple is illuminated, he's going to say, I am the light of the world. All of these symbols, all of this here in this temple is pointing to the true temple. Destroy it and it'll be rebuilt in three days. And it's in this where John 8, verse 12, where Jesus says, 
I am the light of the world. And really, John 9, 1-11, when Jesus brings to this one who is in darkness, the one who is in blindness, this is the implication, if you will, of Jesus being the light of the world. As the light of the world, He drives out darkness. And now John's Gospel is going to show us a real-life example that Jesus truly is who He claims He is, God Almighty, and He is the light of the world that will bring light to this man's eyes and light to this sinner's dark eyes as well. And I hope and pray to yours. But as He's in there in the temple, and the religious leaders are getting very, very angry with Him, If you look to the last few verses of chapter 8 in John's Gospel, right before this story, the story says that and then Jesus is going to go and uh, he's walking outside the temple and he sees this man. What was happening right before this? It's very, very important for us to understand the weight of the story. we got to see what was happening at the end of chapter 8. And here it is. Jesus in John communicates to the people through these beautiful I am's. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. And here he says to them at the end of chapter 8, he says an amazing thing. And you understand this, I am to the Jewish nation, to the Hebrews, was basically claiming deity. This is the same word that God, the same name that God gave to Moses when he was going to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, whose God is this? It's the great I am. I am who I am, and I am who I'll always be. The great being God. And Jesus now, unbelievably, even in the temple, is saying, I am. And you got to understand, this doesn't fly with the religious people. And he says to them, you know, Father Abraham, you're not really associated with him. You think you are because you're born a Jew, but really true faith in Jesus is the only way you're going to know God the Father. And he says, before Abraham was, before Abraham came to being, and this is a man that's passed away, this is our patriarch, he says, I am. Before he even existed, I am. I'm eternal. You know what the religious people did? They said, wow, we got to worship. This is God Almighty. We got to worship. This is the one who has come that was promised to us through Isaiah. We got to worship. This is God's own son. They didn't do that. They realized that he was claiming for himself deity, so they picked up stones to kill him. Look at the vast last part of chapter 8, and that is exactly what is happening. Let me read it for you. 8 uh, verse 57, he's talking about being uh, before Abraham was, I am. They said, you are not 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born. Feel the weight of this. I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So that's the background we have to the story. And it's an amazing story because really it sheds even greater light on what Jesus was willing to do. You've got to understand, Jesus' life has been threatened. 
Jesus was about to be stoned by the religious leaders. And then we come upon this story. Let's look again in verse chapter 9, remembering that we're reading God's holy word, verses 1 through 3. And he went along. This this connects it. And there wouldn't be a chapter break here in the Greek. So this story is connected to the previous story. So understand Jesus and this confrontation slipping away from death. And he went along. He saw a man blind from birth. I love the fact our Savior sees the broken. And he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents, that this man was born blind. They knew enough of of Exodus 25 and the Ten Commandments that Jesus tells us that the sins of a father will be passed down to their children. Oh, that scares me to death. But the reality that our sins are going to have an effect on our children, but as we interpret Scripture with all of Scripture... We see that Ezekiel says that but for each one, Ezekiel 18.20, for each soul that sinneth, they shall surely die. And that God's not going to just make one sin be passed on to another, that each one of us is responsible for each of our own sins. But we want to see what Jesus sees and not with what the disciples see. It's the first point is this, seeing as Jesus sees. Seeing in the midst of of his own trials. Here's a picture. He's walking along. He's probably going outside the temple. That's where beggars went. That's where those who were blind and lame were going to be. Jesus unbelievably notices the man. We should all stand and rejoice and say, praise the Lord. Our God sees. He sees the broken and he's tenderhearted toward them. And now his disciples are going to ask him a question. They're going to say, basically a theological puzzle before them. Who sinned? In the midst of Jesus' own trial, in the midst of his life being threatened, he still sees the poor and the broken. Do you know what my answer would be to disciples? I would say this. I'd say, guys, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I've told you that I've got to go to Jerusalem. I told you that I'm going to be beaten. I told you that I'm going to give up my life. I told you that I'm going to suffer so many things. And you're asking about someone else. Isn't it time to focus on me? Isn't it time just to say, Jesus, how are you doing? Did you guys just miss the fact that we almost got stoned to death and they weren't aiming at you, they were aiming at me? And I got to tell you, I'm such in awe of Jesus who sees beyond his own trials. And it's so humbling for this pastor because as my life gets busy and as, as things come into my life, I don't see your concerns as clearly. I'm consumed with Jeff. When things go bad for me, I want you to feel bad for me. I want you to pray for me. And those are good things. And I kind of want to be that center. And here, in the midst of his own trial, Jesus is concerned with the broken. And he sees what others don't see. You know, I think that there's a, there's a reason why. And again, I know he's God. But I, there's a reason why that Jesus is able to do this that's challenging my heart so much. And it's that security of his relationship with the Father. Do, do you know how insecure most people in the ministry are? 
We mostly do this because of our insecurities. We can stand up in front of you and say, hey, here we are. And, you know, and, and here is Jesus going toe-to-toe with the religious leaders about ready to be stoned. And I would be really worried about my reputation. Man, I just was in the temple and they almost killed me. But you see, what Jesus did is what all of us need to do is he turns to the Father in such an incredible way. He says, that, that's my identity. That's my joy. That's my purpose. My joy, my purpose is to do the Father's will. And I'm the one that, that the Father declared out of heaven that that's my son in whom I really, really love. He's my beloved. And it doesn't matter if they want to stone me. It doesn't matter. You see, once, listen, this is so important. Once we really understand the good news of the gospel, that in Christ Jesus, sinners like us are loved by the Father so much that he'll never change his mind about us. We don't have to worry about the security of the world. We don't have to care what they think. Stone me. I'm loved by the Father. You see, when we're able to understand the incredible beauty of who we are in Christ, something marvelous happens as our eyes are able to be peeled off ourselves and put onto Him. We realize we can now see those around us. Oh God, I pray that He would give me eyes to see your pain. And I think the only way that's going to happen is if I see Jesus more clearly and Jeff less. Seeing as Jesus sees, he sees with compassion, not theory, not theology. Basically, here you have his disciples. They've been hanging out with him for three years. They've seen what he does with lepers. They know that he's called a friend of sinners. They see where he, he, he goes and has dinner. They see that the little children come to him and And now he has his disciples. And you know what they're going to ask? They don't see a broken man. They see a theological puzzle. They want to say, who sinned? Answer this dilemma. I mean, they really don't care about that man. They care about their theology. They care about having the right answers. And so do I. You know how hurtful that is? Spurgeon says in his sermon, he says, listen, I would rather create an ounce of help than a ton of theory. I would rather create an ounce of help than a ton of theory. And what we got to realize is that God sees the broken, not a theological puzzle. He truly sees the broken. And true Biblical theology, true theology of God's Word is going to drive us to the broken and the marginalized and the displaced because that's Jesus. We can't be afraid of theology. It's good. We need it. But if we are sitting in judgment, isn't it good news that Jesus doesn't sit there in judgment and says, well, let me tell you about that man's sins. Let me tell you about his parents' sins. And let me tell you how much the Father deserves to give him blindness. Isn't it great that he didn't come to judge? Isn't it great that he didn't come to thump us in the chest? Isn't it unbelievable that he came from the Father to show us mercy? Isn't it unbelievable that he sees our brokenness more than he sees our sinfulness that drove us there? He's going to deal with the sin. We can't wink over it. But we got to rejoice that our God sees with compassion 
And if we don't see with compassion, something is broken and it hurts because I'm realizing I don't enough. I want to drive by the broken and say, somehow you deserve it. Get a job. Work a little harder. There's something you're doing. Some sin in your life that's causing you to be here. But thank God that's not our God. You know what? Where the disciples went wrong is this. They wanted a God of a formula. And oftentimes we do too. We want God in a box and we want God in a formula. We want God to to work the way we expect him to work. Okay, here's the formula. A broken man who is sinful since birth. Sinful since birth, so therefore something must happen. Um, And and again, there's several religions. Um, Most Eastern religions believe that you will be reincarnated and something happened to you in a previous life that will cause specifically this illness. I did a little study on this this week. They said, well, if you come back this way, you must have been really um, not showing respect to your father and mother. You'll be blind. They have a formula. will say, you have this. You must have done that. Isn't that crazy? And somehow the disciples wanted to know the formula. They wanted to know, well, what did someone do that led to this? The book of Job is a godly man named Job that Jesus, the God the Father, was pleased to say to Satan, have you considered him? And this godly one, this godly one lost his family. He, he lost his health. He lost everything worth living for apart from God. And then show up his friends. And you know what his friends do? His friends start saying, let me tell you about the equation in your life. There's sin, my friend. There's sin in your life. You want to know why God's dealing with you this way? You've got to repent, Job. Job, you're messed up. Job, Job, let me tell you about the equation of God in your life. We have to be very, very careful, my friends. Listen, we've got to be very, very careful, my friends, to start making judgments for why God does what God does. God is God, and God's going to do whatever he pleases. He is good. He is good. But our equations will never work. Jesus doesn't let this equation. It's not about the equation neither. Come on, guys. You're missing it. You think this is a theological issue. This is a person that we need to show compassion to. See with compassion. We can't put God in a box and oh how I want to. I want a God that if I do this, he'll do that. I do. i got to tell you the truth. It'd be a lot easier to try to manage this God. I'm so humbled by him. I'm so in love with him, but he's so much bigger than I am. And every time that I love him more, I realize he's so much bigger. And sometimes I'm a little bit frightened because he doesn't respond to my equations. I've been praying for a lot of you to be healed. And, And my equations are these. Loving God, fervent prayer, healing. My equations are preach Christ passionately, multiple services. My equations don't always work, but God always does. And I think we need to be more and more of a church that sees with compassion, willing to be with the broken. Don't you love that about Jesus? Are you, really, are you willing to be with the broken? Are you willing to be with the marginalized? I mean, again... <laughs> i got Spurgeon in my ears right now. He asked his congregation in the 19th century, who are you helping? Who are you noticing? 
who are you showing compassion to? Because we look to Jesus and we realize he showed such compassion to us. And I think as a church, that's the question we got to ask. Orangewood, are we really a church that sees what Jesus sees? And I think in so many ways, so many of you are, and I want to say thank you. I mean, the stories, the stories I hear of, of how you've helped build houses and habitat and sponsored and then you embrace the family. The stories of how you've helped train those, uh, job training, how you've gone down to uh, true life choice, how you've helped those in your neighborhood or those, and you know, the stories are, are endless. So let me say, Yahoo, good job. But as a church, we've got to continually ask our question, are we seeing what Jesus sees? Are we seeing with the eyes of compassion? Or are we asking theory and marginalizing the broken and the lost? Oh, how I pray that God would break my heart for what breaks his heart. Because truthfully, I'm more concerned with Jeff than I am the broken most of the time. You know, the religious leaders already judged this man. If you look in verses 24 and 34, they've already judged him. When, they, when the story gets out and the Pharisees don't know what to do, that this man was clearly healed by Jesus. And they say in verse 24, we know this man's a sinner. I've already judged it. He, he, he's blind. He's a sinner. He deserves this. That's compassion from religious folks, isn't it? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? He deserves it. He's a sinner. Look at verse 34. To this they replied to the man, you are steeped in sin at birth. That's why you're blind. You're such a sinner since birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. We live in a time where uh, it's easy to look at those that are marginalized and say, you know, there's somehow they deserve it and we've got to be really good stewards with what we got and we've got to be careful. We're not just flippantly engaging with those who somehow squander what we have and, you know, we, we can put them in a box saying... You know, if they just worked a little harder, if they just, if they just, if they just, and we walk away saying, that's not my problem. I mean, they, they got, you know, I got to tell you, I, I have a hard time with this, and I, I don't know all what to do with this, because we got to be good, resor- uh, good stewards of God's resources. But Jesus saw a man blind. Disciples saw a theological dilemma. How is it with us? Do we really see? May God let us see the way he sees. You know, I, uh, I picked up some laundry this week, and you probably have heard me say over the years that in my loyalty, I drive across town where I used to live, and I, and I go to a, a man who's very moral and very, very nice and very Eastern in his religion, and as I was studying this text, it was interesting, this uh, transmigration of souls, this, this kind of who sinned, that there was a previous life that was lived that caused this. And, and I want to engage with him about this. And, and so I, uh, I went to the window and I, and I got this stuff and I said, now, you believe in reincarnation, right? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, very, very, very much so. And so I'm going to preach a passage this week in my church on John 9. It talks about a man who was born blind. And... Uh, the question was asked to Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? And I've realized as I've studied more and more that 
sometimes your religion teaches you that there's certain consequences for sins in a previous life. Is that true? He said, yes, it is. Because I don't, can't tell you exactly. But I know, for example, and I'm, I'm not making this up. He told me this. And he's a very good man that I really hope comes to knowledge in Jesus. But he said this. He says, you know, I think if in this life you love money too much, you'll probably come back as a snake. Wow. And then he said, you know, and I think in this life, if you love your children too much, love your children too much, you'll probably come back as a pig. And he says, you know, for our religion, it really is what you reap won't, uh, what you sow won't be reaped until the next life. I said, was there ever nirvana? Can you ever get there? And there's a lady waiting patiently thinking, this is an interesting conversation. (laughs) And I could tell, she was looking at me like, is this guy like going to convert? I said, I believe in reaping and sowing too. But let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he reaped. He lived a perfect life. And he died a substitutionary death for me. And the cycle is broken because the tomb is empty. And now I stand in Christ set free. And I'm reaping what he sowed, eternal life. Oh, to know that joy. To know that joy of being set free. That I'm not going to come back what I deserve, a snake, a pig, some kind of rodent. Do you know the joy of being set free? Do you know the joy of reaping what Jesus has sowed? Do you know the joy of a tomb that's empty, that death has been truly defeated? Do you know the joy of being called out of darkness into his marvelous light? Oh, there's nothing like it. Not only are we to see what Jesus sees, we're to make visible the invisible work of God. Look again at verses 3 through 5. Jesus answers their foolish question, saying, neither this man nor his parents sinned. I mean, both of them have sinned, but he's saying the point isn't their sin. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of Him who sent me. I love the we. As long as it is today, we must do the works of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You know what Jesus is saying? It's amazing. We can't miss this. This is absolutely amazing. He says this. Our darkness is the masterpiece, is a canvas that the master wants to use. Our darkness. Where should the light shine? The light shall shine in darkness. Listen, here's the implications of this. Listen, listen, this is so important. If we're not lost, we can't be saved. If we're not guilty, we can't be pardoned. If we're not sinful, we can't be cleansed. 
You see, there's a blessing of our brokenness and our darkness. And this is what we add to the equation in salvation. We bring nothing but darkness and say, God, create a masterpiece. And that's what he does. That's what he does. What did this man have to offer? Nothing but darkness. What do you and I have to offer God? Nothing but darkness. And here's the amazing beauty is this. God does work in our darkness. The truth is that I want to hide my darkness because I'm ashamed of it. I want to hide my brokenness. I don't want you to see it. And somehow I want you to see my righteousness. And somehow I want you to see my light. And somehow we live our lives thinking that our righteousness and our light is what makes us acceptable to God. And that's nonsense. It's nonsense. The only way we're acceptable to God is when His light shines into our darkness. And here's the incredible good news of the gospel. We can come to a holy God and say we can be who we are. We can expose the fact that we don't quite get it yet. That there's things in our closet that we're ashamed of. And we can say, God of light, come shine and make me a masterpiece. And no longer do we have to pretend. And no longer do we have to think our righteousness gets it. We let God work His masterpiece in the midst of our brokenness. That's the gospel. And that's where he does his best work. I love what it says here. We must do the works of God. We together. God comes to us and and when we say as little children, can I help? He said, yeah, we're going to do it together. And right now, Orangewood night is coming from us. This is our day right here. Orangewood Presbyterian Church. This is our day to do the works of God. And our work is to shine for Christ. Because now we are the light of the world. Matthew 5.14 says, we are now the light of the world. Jesus says, while I'm in the world, I'm going to be the light of the world. And ultimately behind us, of course, he will always be the light of the world. But as his church, as his children, here's what he says to us. We now are the light of the world. And where do you think the light is supposed to shine? In darkness. We remember the hurricanes. If you lived here through the hurricanes and our power went out. Uh, I remember for us, we were able to uh, tap in one line off our neighbor's generator that operated one fan and one light in one room. And the rest of the house was dark. Listen, I think that oftentimes we live our Christian lives wanting to bring the light of Christ into one or two rooms and being very, very content with the rest of the house being dark. Jesus says, no, I want to shine in all your darkness. Bring it to me. Don't hide a room from me. I want to shine brightly in every single one of your your rooms of your life. That is now what we're called to do. Go shine where there's darkness. Go shine where there's brokenness. What your call and my call is the church of Christ is, listen, we are to make visible the invisible Jesus. We're to make visible the way we love our broken neighbor. The way we will go into darkness and shine for him. Church, we are to engage darkness because we are light. And if it's only about us flashing our flashlights on one another, we miss it. We are the light of the world to go and to shine. You know, uh, there, uh, our state is wrestling over yet another vanity plate. That's what we need, isn't it? One more vanity plate. Make the total 312 or something like that. You hear about this latest plate? It says, I believe. 
It's a beautiful plate. It's got a stained glass window. It's got a cross. And it says, I believe. And the gentleman who's bringing it forward says, we say we believe in certain sports teams. Let's say we believe in Christianity. Now, for, if it does pass and you buy that, that's fine. But I want to tell you, if you think that that's what Shining for Jesus is about, wearing, putting a little ichthus on the back of your car and a little I believe on the front of your car so we can drive along. No, no, no. The light of Christ should shine from us from the inside out. It's not decoration. And God wants to shine in your life and He's placed you in your family, in your community, in your jobs, in your schools to shine for Him. And wherever there is darkness, you and I are called to go and to shine. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And how we do that is we bring His light into this world so the world can see. It's an amazing call. Is there darkness in your life? Be of good cheer. God can use it for a masterpiece. Is there darkness in your life? Are there certain rooms that you're hiding? Let the light of Christ come in every room and give you life and life abundantly. Church, are we more comfortable here shining on one another? Or are we truly going to engage the dark world around us in word and deed? And lastly, we see faith and obedience that leads to seeing. Verses 6 through 11. An incredible story. You got Jesus. What in the world is Jesus doing? I mean, Jesus has the authority to just speak, and this man can see. He has authority to have a word, will make this man see, and yet he makes this weird concoction. He basically, I mean, he spits in the ground, he makes a little clay. He rubs it on the guy's eyes. He hasn't seen yet. The guy's feeling his eyes. And what in the world? He tells him to go. Go to a, a certain pool. A pool that's translated scent. Interestingly, and I don't have time to tell you all this. It's incredible. There's so much here. This pool, meaning scent, was supposed to remind the Jewish people of a Messiah that would come, that would open up blind eyes. Jesus is basically sending him back to himself. I think we all, we all want to say very quickly is this too. Jesus uses means of healing. He chooses to use spit and clay. He could choose whatever he wants. He could use radiation in your body. He could use a counselor in your marriage. He can use prescriptions. He doesn't need it. He's the healer. But what this man does, he was never promised healing, and yet he, his faith went his faith went, and he came home seeing. He was obedient to wash away spit out of his eyes in clay. And there's so much theologically that we want to dig into to say what in the world was happening. And in the remaining moments, I want to give you a thought. God loves to work with clay. He's a potter. You're clay. Genesis 2.7 says he took dust clay and he made man in his own image and Jesus is going to recreate what sin has torn apart and that's what he loves to do he loves to make all things new he likes to make them the way they should have been the way we could truly see with spiritual eyes because each one of us that are his children each one of us have been called out of darkness first Peter 2:10 into his marvelous light so that we can declare his glory, it's all for His glory. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's making all things new. He's making this man new. He is so new, his neighbors don't even recognize him. He looks like the same guy. 
I think that's the beggar neighbor of ours. Here's the point. When Jesus comes into our life, he makes you and me new. And we should be unrecognizable to those around us before we knew Jesus. Our lives should be distinct as the light of the world shining brightly in a world that desperately needs Jesus. The response of the man, when he was asked about this healing, he says, the man they call Jesus. I have one question for you. What do you call Jesus? The man they called Jesus, he touched this man. And he could see. He says in verse 35 that later when he came across Jesus, when he finally was able to see Jesus, verse 35 of chapter 9, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he loves to go look for the lost. He said to him, Jesus said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And this restored man says, Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will be blind. How is it with you? Are you able to now believe and worship Jesus in the light of the world? Shine brightly for Him. For His glory. Whatever darkness you have, here's the good news. Jesus wants to use that darkness, that blindness, that brokenness. He says, now listen, it's there for God to get glory. You're here. I'm here. We're here for God to get glory. Even in the midst of our darkness. As He comes and shines light into what is broken and restores us, we now shine as the light of the world. The man they call Jesus, what do you call him? Let us pray. Father, we truly Thank you for a Savior who sees with compassion. And Father, we thank you so much that as we follow you by the faith that you have given to us and we obey you by the grace that you have given us that we too can see and be set free. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us that as we worship you that we won't be ashamed of our brokenness but we would realize that it's through our brokenness that Jesus does His best work. And Father, I pray for us holistically as a family, as a church, that we would truly see what Jesus sees with compassion. That our theory and theology would only drive us to the broken, not away from them. That Father, that You would be pleased. Please, Father, please, Please to allow this church to let the invisible Jesus be seen visibly in our words, in our love, and in our deeds. Thank you for that great joy of being used by the Father. 
Thank you that we can now worship him with our tithes and offerings, we pray in Christ's powerful name. Amen.